Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. It will be helpful uh, if you take your bulletins and follow along, and if you've got a pen or a pencil, there are some blanks that you need to fill in that we left for you. The message that we're talking about is the result of accusations that are brought primarily not from other religions, but by people who are opposed to religion of any kind. When we're in Bible college and then you go on to seminary, you take courses in comparative religions, you study the other uh, world religions. Some, some classes are called world religions, some in seminary it's called comparative religions. <clears throat> But generally speaking, there's not that much difficulty among them, at least here in the western part of the world. There's still some difficulties in the Near East and uh, in parts of India. But uh, usually we get along pretty well with folks of other world religions, Buddhism, Shintoism, in Japan, uh, Confucius is really more of a, and most of them are more philosophies than they are religions anyway, even though they're called religions. And the one passage of scripture that's probably among the God-haters that's used more often than any other is in the sixth verse of the 14th chapter of John, and that needs to be set in a little bit of a context. <clears throat> It actually, that's where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes unto the Father but through or by me. And that's, uh, the God-haters say, what? Well, that's arrogant and blah, 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 blah. But when you set it in the context of the conversation that took place between the disciples and Jesus, there's no arrogance there at all. It's really just... Jesus trying to be nice and explain to him in detail what uh, Peter in particular was wanting to know. See, in the 13th chapter of John, Jesus announced to his disciples for the first time in clear terms that he was going to have to die. And Peter spoke up like he always did first and said, we don't want you to die. Because when we're with you, we, we're comforted and, 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 and secure, and we don't want you to go anywhere. And Jesus had to go to the trouble to explain to him that since he was flesh and blood, he was limited in time and space, and so it was necessary for him to die to fulfill the mission that God sent him to do, that his father expected him to complete, and then he would go back to heaven where he came from and he would then send the Holy Spirit who was not limited by time and space so he could be available for anybody wherever they were. Well, and it's in that context that that uh, because Peter was saying we're uncomfortable and, and he said, look, you believe in God, believe also in me. And in, in my father's house, there's plenty of room, don't worry about that. And, uh, and I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I've got to go away, so just 
don't worry about it. It's going to be good. And it's in that framework that Jesus said, you know, just follow me. You follow me, continue to be faithful in following me because I'm the way to the Father. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and I'm the way that you get to God the Father. Well, there's no arrogance in that. It's just an honest effort to make clear, uh, to give an answer to the people who'd raised the question, to his disciples in particular. I remember when it's this time of year when Alice Kay was talking about the the different dances and everything that school has. We had a prom at at our little high school back way, way back then. I was the uh, president of the of the class, and so I had to open the dance with the principal's wife. That's the tradition there. Now, uh, there's more to that that makes it a little difficult, and I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm just telling you what really took place. Uh, Mrs. Parsley uh, was also the librarian. Mr. Parsley was our coach and our principal at Bracken County High School, and, and, uh, and Mrs. Parsley had a problem with excessive hair on her face. And she shaved, and we called her, her name was Sadie Parsley. We called her Sadie the Bearded Lady, but she didn't know that. And, well, anyway, after we had, after we had uh, uh, the, the, the dance that night, a bunch of us, m- Dad let me have the car. And, uh, and so there's four people in my car and four in another one, and after it was all over, we decided to go to Cincinnati. I had never driven in Cincinnati, and the guy that was with had, and so I was following him because he said, I know where we can go, and the place is open all night. We can get something to eat and blah, blah, look around. And okay. So I was following him, and I think it was on Columbia Parkway. I've forgotten. And it was one of those deals where he got to a stoplight just as it was changing red, and he went on through it. And if I went to go through it, I was going to run a red light. But I didn't know where it was going, so I went ahead and followed him. It was not a good decision. And, uh, and from somewhere, this policeman pulled me over. And I never will forget what he said. I, I, he said, you know, have, can you got your license? Yeah, and all that. And I told him we were had been to the senior prom and... I was following that guy up there because he knew where he was going, and and he, I had, to, I was afraid he'd get away from me, so I did go through a red light. He said he looked at, never forget what the policeman said. He looked at me and he said, "I guess if he were going to hell, you'd follow him." Now, how do you answer that? I don't think I answered it, but anyway, I never forgot the question. But he was gracious, and he let me go on and just ask us to be careful and so on. He wanted to know if we were drinking any of that, and then we weren't. You have to be, you ought to know who you're going to follow. You really should know what you're doing. Because who you follow might just well determine everything. And so what we're talking about here is, did you ever just sit and think for a minute, 
how am I going to get to heaven? Because this, there's some things we know. Number one, we know we're going to die. We know why we're going to die, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and so uh, the wages of sin is death. So we know that. We know that appointment is coming. The question that we, we have before us, though, is... Uh, We know that, and we know we, we know we want to go to heaven, but how do you get there? Because there isn't anybody sitting here who's been there. And the only reason I followed that guy through the red light is he knew where, or at least he convinced me, he knew where he was going, and I thought he was, so I followed him. And this is all about, in this context, knowing who to follow in order to get where we know we want to go. Because I doubt if there's anybody here this morning who doesn't want to go to heaven. There's probably a whole batch of us who are not certain we ought to get there, but... God is more gracious, and his grace is greater than our sin, and so we have that promise that we can go to heaven. So here's, here's what the Bible tells us. Jesus descended, you know, he, he came from heaven to earth. He already existed in heaven. And in order to do what needed to be done, he had to put on flesh because God's law required that the payment for sin had to be equal to the value of the person who sinned. And so that he had to put on flesh and dwell among, and live among us in order to qualify as sufficient payment for the sin of mankind. But it's important for you to remember that he descended to earth from heaven. And he's the only person who ever did that. If you go back to the third chapter of the book of John, verse 13, he said, no one has ever gone to heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man, meaning Jesus. I've always lived on the basis that if somebody had been there and back, they knew the way better than me if I've never been there. And so this is all about Jesus trying to give a comfort level to those who follow him about when they die, they will be comforted with the fact, and he actually called himself that in one sense, when he said, I will send another comforter in reference to the Holy Spirit. And that word another, alos in the Greek means someone identical to and similar in every way to me. So I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who will provide for you what I would be providing for you if I were here in the flesh. That's the work of the Holy Spirit that he promised. And, and so he said, I'm... I, I've, I've come from heaven. 
He'd already, and so based on that, and, and I know the way back. So I am the way. And when he used the word way, that's the basis of our using the word high way or a road. He was really saying, you follow this path. The early church did not call themselves Christians. That later on happened in, uh, in, the, in, in north of Jerusalem, a little piece up in what is today Syria, at Antioch. And it says that they were first called Christians at Antioch. And the word Christians, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N, and I-A-N is the same as an apostrophe S. Own, meaning possession, owned by, belonging to. So Christians are those who belong to Christ. Because he bought us and paid for us when he died on the cross. So, Jesus, this is number one on your outline there. Jesus was sent to earth by the Father. That was, that's why, again, that's John three sixteen. That's the verse that every one of you know, at least, a little bit. For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave his only begotten son. He sent him into the world. He gave him to us as payment for our sin. That whoever believed him should not die or perish but have eternal life. Now, so Jesus was sent to earth by the Father. Number two, his mission in the Bible is clearly defined. Now, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to read all of these passages of Scripture about his mission, um, but because there are several. When, uh, there are several different things that he was to do when he stood before Pilate, for instance. And Pilate said, are you a king? He said, yes, I'm a king. It was for this reason that I came, and that was to show people the truth. Because in the religious world, there's always been a lot of confusion. Always been. Always will be, probably. And he came, he's, and Pilate then asked the question, you remember, well, what is truth? He didn't know either. You remember Johnny Cash wrote a song about that and sang, in the lonely voice of youth cries, what is truth? He said, I came so that I can live among you and demonstrate for you what truth is. It's not just words. I'm going to show you by living it. Here's the truth. But when you go over, when John wrote the epistles, and over in the, um, and you might want to make a note of this because it's not there in your notes. Uh, in, in the epistle of 1 John, the third chapter, and verse 8, he, tells, he says this, talking about the mission. Why did Jesus come to earth? And I'm only giving you parts of it. But this is the part I want to emphasize. Verse 8. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Now the next part's important. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. What's the work of the devil? The devil's primary work is to lie, cheat, and, and kill. 
One of the things that we do around funerals to make everybody feel good that just has no biblical base to it at all, you know, well, God called me home, and I died. Well, let me tell you something. Death isn't something that's caused usually by God. Death is the domain of the devil. Jesus on a mission from God is the source of life, not death. Paul writes that the last enemy that we face is death. I don't know anyone sitting here who says, you know, bring it on. I'm, I want to die. Well, if you do, you're goofy. Yeah, you, you need to, well, you need help. Put it like that. Now, in order to come to earth and to complete his mission, Jesus had to cease to be the spirit and put on flesh and come among us. That's what happened in Bethlehem. He came as a baby. He put flesh on and dwelt among us, John says, full of grace and truth. And when he did that, he emptied himself of his position in heaven this is spelled out in the second chapter of the book of Philippians. He emptied himself. He didn't empty himself of his divinity. Now, the reason I say this is because among liberal scholars, many of them say he emptied himself of his divinity when he left heaven. And, and, and actually, God really adopted him as a son at his baptism when he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The liberals say that he just adopted a guy then as his son and died to get his work done. That's a lot of baloney. He didn't empty himself of his divinity. He emptied himself of his position sitting at the right hand of the Father. That was his position. Which meant he was second only in position of authority to God the Father. Now, we don't understand the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I was watching Charles Stanley this morning talking about it. And... Uh, he had a cute little thing there, you know. There's one, two, and three, and then they become one. And that's clever if you just kind of look at it. I wish I'd thought of it. You know. But that's the way he described it. What, he, what, what Paul says is that he humbled himself. Humility means that you consciously step down from where you could be to a lower level in order to do something worthwhile. There aren't many humble people. Most people want to step up. Humility says that you consciously realize that things can be better done if you step down. Do you remember John the Baptist who was a really popular preacher? And he said when they brought up the subject of Jesus, he said, I've got to decrease in order for him to increase. I've got to step down in order for him to come to the top. I'm not worthy, he said, to untie his shoelaces. He's so far above me. And I'm come to introduce him to the world. Old John the Baptist was, hum was a humble man. And there are not many people who are. Our whole culture says, step up, step up. My grand, one of my grandsons, Amy's son, was in a, 
play in Cincinnati this past week. It's called High School Musical. Now, what you all wouldn't know, when that thing was first became a play and then it became a movie, and my son Brian was helped produce that and when he worked at Disney and put it on DVD and all that. And if you were to buy a DVD of High School Musical, it would have Brian Rawlings' name on it. Brian can get his name before people better than anybody I ever saw. And he can't spell humility, much less do it. That's just not in the way he operates. And so his sister called him and said, Brian, would you show up at the play and bring all the stuff that you got when they gave it, when Disney gave it to them when they first produced it? So sure enough, he did. And Alice Kay said after the play was over, Brian had all the cast around him, you know, and he was sitting there so humble. Humility is not a natural thing. Humility is a spiritual thing when the Holy Spirit helps us realize that by stepping down, we can accomplish what God wants done rather than demanding our own way. Jesus gave up voluntarily his position in the heaven, stepped down, became a person, became more like us. That's a far step down from where he was. But he did it because we needed help. It's really that simple. You know, and you need to understand this before we go to number two. Bethlehem at Christmas time was not Jesus' first trip to earth. Now, it was his first trip to earth where he put on skin and dwelt among us, John says, full of grace and truth. But if you look closely at Scripture under number two, Jesus actually participated in the creation of all that exists. If you look carefully at Genesis, the first chapter, verse 26, it says this, And let us create man in our own image. Us is not singular, us is plural. The work there of the creation, of bringing, speaking it into existence, and then the Holy Spirit organized it so that it functioned. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were there at creation. Jesus was there at the time it all came into existence. So he'd been here before, not with skin on, but he'd been here before. If you look carefully in the opening of, of the Gospel of John, John says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word, you can insert Jesus there. That means the incarnate Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And without Him was not anything created that exists. He was there at creation, and John is actually going back to verse one, uh, 26, chapter 1. And, and doing a commentary on that in verse 3 here, of the first chapter of the Gospel of John. Now, nobody has ever seen God the Father and lived. Not actually seen them. There's those 
in the Bible who thought they had been in God's presence, and they were sometimes and and they were wrong. You remember one of them, for instance, was Jacob. He was wrong about so many things. But you remember he wrestled there with an angel all night long, and the, and the angel finally just to keep him aware of what went on kind of struck him on the hip and he limped for the rest of his life. He was gimpy for the rest of his life. And he, he was so excited. He said, I have been in, I have seen the God. I've been in the presence of God. Actually, he just had a vision of angels going up and down a ladder. And he sleep probably because those dreams were important to understanding the nature of God. He hadn't seen God because you don't see God and live. Now, the reason I tell you that is, you remember when Moses was at the foot of Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai is, a, is, a, is not an individual mountain. Mount Sinai is a mountain range on the south end there of the peninsula. And the individual mountain, and Ralph went up, but I didn't feel well when I was there last time, and, and Ralph, he climbed it up there. And... Uh, but they came back down and and they didn't see what Moses saw when he went up there. Moses went up there and got the Ten Commandments, you remember? And God said to him, Moses, you know, people who know him well talk to Moses, said, Moses, I'm going to pass by you, but there's a big old hole here. It's called the Cleft of the Rock. And I'm going to put you in there because if you were to see me, you'd melt down. You'd be nothing. So he hit him and he said, Moses told the story and he said, I, I could just see the hind parts as he went by. Because had he seen, met the living God, he'd have just ceased to exist. The power of God is, is beyond our comprehension, isn't it, really? You and I can't comprehend speaking the universe into existence. That's just beyond us. And that's the reason a lot of people just don't believe it, because their mind is so small. Now, even though no one has actually seen God and lived, a lot of people have heard his voice. Now, don't mix up Jesus and the Father here. Because Jesus... When he was baptized by John the Baptist there in the Jordan River, you remember the voice of the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. That was spoken three different instances in the life of Jesus, the voice of God. Now, when, when Paul was on the road to Damascus, that wasn't the Heavenly Father, that was Jesus. Because you remember he got knocked off his horse. He was blind as a bull bat laying there wondering what the heck's going on. And, and, and he said, who, who is it? And the answer came back, it's Jesus who you're, you're persecuting. But in different instances in the Bible, there are times when they did hear the voice of God. But they didn't see him because they'd never survived it. And so there are those various instances in Scripture. Now, let's go on now to what back, we're kind of getting back now to uh, 
the 14th chapter of John when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. You just remember this now. They were called that time the followers of the way and probably because of what Jesus said here in that sixth six verse. The way, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Actually, here in the state of Ohio several years ago, there was a group called, it was back in the time when a lot of groups were being formed, it was, and, and they were really making a conscious attempt to, to, to get back to the Bible from all the religious Christian confusion, and they called themselves the Way International, and, and they still exist. I was talking to a young lady who belonged to that at, uh, uh, at the restaurant in Huntington recently. In my opinion, they made one little mistake. They were really good about getting people to study their lessons. They had prepared lessons and so on and so forth. They were here in town for a while, good people, doing their best. But I think they made a serious theological mistake that they, because at the time it was founded, they weren't really they didn't know church history very well, and so they made a mistake that had been made in church history. But everybody makes mistakes. This isn't to me. It's just I'm just pointing out. There was an early in the early church. There was a uh, a heresy that developed. Or it was called that in church history, and it came as a result of of being too influenced by what's called uh, dualism. Came out of Greek philosophy. The flesh and the spirit. Flesh and the spirit. And these are terms used in the Bible because Greek was so influential at the time the Bible was, New Testament was written. But the flesh doesn't mean this. The flesh in the Bible usually means the unconverted individual, heart of the individual. And, and spirit is, is different. And so... Uh, they said, well, the early heresy was that you can do anything you want to in the flesh because it's going to be done away with anyway. It's only in the spirit that remains, so you, that, that's, you're not going to be held accountable. I, I think that was an honest mistake that was made by sincere people trying their best. Jesus said, I am the way. Now, Christians are told in the Bible that when we die, we go be with Christ. And the, and the Apostle Paul talks about that in, again back in Philippians. He was in jail when he wrote the book of Philippians. He was in, in prison in Rome. This is called a prison epistle. The word of Philippians. And, and, and he's, he's, he's writing to the church at Philippi. And he says... I'm in a quandary. I'm, he, I'm in a bind. I, I'm in a straitjacket. I, I can't make up my mind whether it's better for me to die and go be with Christ or to stay here as your preacher. For to die is gain. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, I believe that. I, I, I really do believe that as, as Christians, as followers of the way, and Jesus is that way, we go to heaven when we die. But there's some questions that have always plagued me about that. 
Because the Bible teaches clearly, lastly, that God's people have an eternal home. Because you see, the devil, you remember, is the giver of death. Jesus, God is the deliverer, is the giver of life. He said, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you life in abundance if you follow me. John 3.16 says what? I'm, I'm not only come to give you life, the devil will kill you, but I, if you follow me, I will let you live eternally. Now, here's the question. Maybe you've never thought about this. I've wrestled with it off and on all my life. At the moment I die, then what? Oh, I've heard people say, well, in that minute, I'm, I'm, that, that second I'm, I take the last breath, the heart beats the last time, I'm in the presence of the Lord. Well, maybe. But where do you find that book, chapter, and verse? You see, Jesus was saying, when that happens, I'm the way. I'm the road. Now, how's he going to... You know, I've always dreamed of something that may or may not be true. Probably not, <laughs> to be honest with you. Every time I ever had difficulty in my life while my father was still alive, he came to the rescue. I never had but one wreck in my life, and that was down on, on number 10. I was going to a little church down here on the river and on the Kentucky side to preach, and I hit a little bit of ice, and the car went off the road, took out five panels on a board fence, and a half a dozen mailboxes. So I'll go across the road, it happened to be a doctor's house, and he was still there, and, and, and I went in and asked to use the phone and told him what had happened. I called my father, and Dad said he and Mother were getting ready to go to church, and he said, you just sit right there, I know where you are, I'll be there directly. In more than probably 45 minutes, here came that old 53 Plymouth chugging up the road. He never, he never broke the law in his life. He never had any fun driving. He came chugging up the road, that old 53 Plymouth, and he said, you just get into Plymouth and go on where you were going, and I'll take care of this. When I was in graduate school, and Alice Cake started having babies, and, and uh, we had a 1953 Ford Victoria that finally wore out, and we bought a little Ford Falcon. You remember those? Didn't have any money, and, and so... Dad and mother bought it and gave it to us. And I could tell you that could go on forever. And we've done the same thing with our kids. You just do that and that's okay. You kind of get tired of it occasionally. You'd think after they get to be about 60, they'll be able to take care of themselves. But, but that's the way it is and that's okay. As long as we're able to help, we should. So I'd always thought, you know, since that old gray-haired guy, he had the prettiest shock of a gray hair you ever saw. He lost some of it when he started taking cobalt treatments for cancer, but I'd always thought that the minute I die, that very second, you know, that that old guy would be standing there saying, come on, I've looked after you all this time. Might as well take you now because I know how to get there. I've been there. But I doubt if that's really accurate. The old Jews at the time of Jesus was here on earth, had a, they had an idea 
that everybody had a guardian angel. Miss Frances and I, a lot of you don't know her, she helped found this church. She and I used to fuss about that all the time. She, she was from Bethlehem, Alabama, and she said she used to say, I, I, you know, it, you'll be all right, Brother Scott, because you've got a guardian angel. And I'd say, I ain't seen him lately, but you know. But anyway, the Jews really believed that, and the early church had some other ideas. The early church, and, and the Catholic church finally put this in their, in their official documents. And they had some justification. Because when you read the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, it's called the Hall of Fame of the Faithful People of the Old Testament. When you read that, it ends up by saying, and, and therefore we are encompassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses. Who are these witnesses? Well, the antecedent in, in the grammar is these guys that he just listed who were the Old Testament saints. And the picture there that he's painting, because Greek is a, is a picture, picturesque language, the picture that he was showing there was uh, a, a great stadium where they had the Olympic Games and, 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 the, uh, and you and I here are still alive. We're, we're on the playing field. And all of those saints of God who've gone on before us are in the stands rooting for us. See, the Catholic Church did something that was pretty neat in a way. They, they said, you know, these Old Testament saints are interceding for us. And they, they actually had the prayers to the saints. You remember one hanging on the windshield saying, Christopher? If you look at a Catholic, uh, some, of the, some of the diocese put out a calendar, and on that calendar, almost every day of the year, there's a saint listed there that you can interc that intercede for you. Now, whether that happens or not, whether there's a saint of God waiting there to escort us out of this land into the presence of God, into what we call heaven, I don't really know. I'm inclined to think, though, I'm inclined to think that it will be an angel. Now, the word angel just means a messenger, so it, if Dad qualified as a messenger, he could be one of them, I guess. I don't know. And the things that we don't know that we believe qualify under the subject of faith. These are the things longed for that haven't happened yet. That's the first verse of the 11th chapter. Of Hebrews. Because you see, the Bible says that when you and I are converted, God gives us citizenship in heaven. Paul actually says that, uses that term. You and I, when we were converted, became citizens of the kingdom of God. We have dual citizenship, don't we? And therefore, wherever that is, and we don't know where it is, but Jesus does. And these Old Testament saints, when Jesus took to heaven with him when he died, and then those of us now who die and, and to be departed from the flesh and to be present with the Lord, we've been there. Those folks have been there and they know the way. Jesus was the way. They got there because of him, and you'll now get there because of him. But how we're going to get there and who's going to guide us, I don't really know. I just know that it'll happen. For which I'm grateful. 
because I haven't been to heaven. I think I've been to hell a few times, but I've never been to heaven. You see, I need to point this out again. Next few minutes here. Don't forget this one thing. Death is the domain of the devil. I repeated, I gave that to you the first time. And actually, uh, the Bible is abundantly clear about that. So don't make the mistake of crediting God with death of anybody. Because that's not what he does. God isn't the giver of death. The devil is. And the Bible is, is I think, abundantly clear about that. Staying here in the, in the same book of Hebrews, the second chapter, in verse, what, 14, I think? Yeah, it is. Let me read this. Now listen to this, because every daggone funeral, and we've, we've gotten sick of funerals. I think we had, we've attended and participated in at least four this week. So don't go bother dying for a while, because we're tired of it. But here in the 14th verse, here's what it says. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. Now let me say that again. The devil is the cause of death. Do you remember when Adam and Eve were in the garden? God didn't show up and say, hey, I'm going to, you know tempt you to sin so you can die? The Lord isn't willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But he did say, be careful because the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. And Satan got involved in it, and he tempted Eve, and sin entered the world. That came from then death came. And it's been here ever since. And it's all the work and the deeds of the devil. When some car, some, some drunk crosses the highway and, and hits another car of a family head on, you telling me God had something to do with that? He did not. This is the devil's doing. And quit blaming God for the works of the devil. The devil... Is, 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 he's a killer. He's a liar and a thief and a killer. Jesus comes along, <coughs> as we read there, in 1 John 3, 8, to destroy the works of the devil, to speak the truth instead of being a liar, to give life instead of death. For God so loved the world, He gave His own death. Whosoever believed in Him should not, but have everlasting life. God is the giver of eternal life. 
And Jesus was trying to get this across. He wasn't trying to be arrogant. He wasn't putting anybody down. He was trying to give people hope. I can get you from here to there. I've been there. Peter, you're not worth a powder to blow you to kingdom come, but you love me and I love you and I'm going to get you there. And we have the same promise. The Lord is not slack. Peter wrote concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but his long-suffering toward is not willing that any should perish. You yodlers head up this way. Here's, here's the point, folks. The primary reason for a church, the primary reason for a church is to get people from here to there. And you do that by introducing people to Jesus Christ, because He is the road. He's... You're not on yet. <laughs> okay. Indigestion sounds awful. So... Here's what, here's, if somebody comes up to you and says, is that arrogant to say that, you know, you, Jesus is the only way to heaven? What they've done is they've opened the door for you to say, I don't know anything about that. I just want to tell you what happened to me. That's why I keep telling you, everybody needs to refine your story to three to five, ten minutes max. Because they've opened the door for you to say, I don't, I don't know about all of that, but I do know what happened to me. That's what the Apostle Paul, that's what he did. He set the perfect example for us in doing that. He said, I, I don't know about stuff like that, but I can tell you what happened to me on the road to Damascus and what he's done for me ever since. He said, you know what? All my companions at one time left me but Jesus. And Jesus is the one who says, if you'll invite him into your life, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. The 13th chapter of Hebrews. Never leave you nor forsake you. And he's accepted the responsibility to get you and me to where we want to go, even though you and I have never been there and don't know how to get there. We have to have help. And that help comes when he puts his Holy Spirit into you and said, now you just hang in there and trust Jesus. He'll get you there. Anyway, I'm glad you're here this morning. And I hope that you'll develop your story of when somebody asks you a question. Don't argue with them. That doesn't do any good. No one's ever saved in an argument. But if you'll just tell them what Jesus has done for you, It'll make all the difference in the world. So work at that. Work at it. Practice it in front of a mirror. That's what we do with sermons. And and uh, doesn't help us much, but it might help you. I don't know, you know. <laughs> so anyway, thank you for being here. Continue to pray for us and for the church. Uh, there's a lot to do. And we're, I think, uh, making some headway. And, but it'll only come through prayer and loving each other, encouraging each other, bearing each other's burdens, because that's what love is anyway. So, Lord, I ask your blessing on this gathering of people. 
Thank you for making a home in heaven for us. Thank you for promising to get us there, even though we don't know the way. We just know you. We trust that you're the way, the truth, and the life. Dismiss us with a sense of your abiding presence, and we pray, Lord, that this week that you'll give us an opportunity to share with somebody what you've done for us. Dismiss us with a sense of your abiding presence, we pray in Jesus' name. All the people said, God bless you. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.